All right, so welcome back to Love Notes from God, and we are on week five of our series, Something Beautiful. So as we start, I'm going to ask this question, and for those of you who haven't been here, you're going to give me this blank look at first, but I ask it every week during this series. What is, has been your theme song of your life this week? You got one? The story by, um, it's in my story, it's right. It is in my story by what's her name? She sings. Um, I remember listening to all of the duet, and it's um, it's written in my story. Mm -hmm. God is in my God is in my story. God is, God is in my story. I like that one. Yes. Yeah. All right, Audrey. Mean. mean girls. Yes, you've had some mean girls this week. All right. What was funny is we were listening. I gotta tell this story. She keeps asking, "Mom, are you sure that's a Christian song?" And I was like, yeah, baby, it is. And then we were in the car today and we're listening to the message satellite radio. And the artist was, it was the artist studio thing, backstage thing where they just like do acoustics and stuff. And it, she sang that song and I'll be like, So I just had to tell on her. All right. You got one? Yes. Count too many blessings. I have a blessing you done. Yep. All right. Waymaker. Waymaker. All right. We've got some good ones. Tim, you got one or not? You don't. I have, last week I told everybody that, um, and I think it's because I've been practicing it on the piano, trying to get my, my musical mind working again, but the, um, the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus over you. That's the same as either. Yeah. Katie Nicole, that's her name. But I am, that one's been in mind that, you know, that no matter what's going on, that there's going to be a change in our life, which kind of coincides with our whole series, right? Something beautiful. God takes those hard times. And he makes something beautiful. Today I was in the car and I shared that I did a hospital visit for one of the little kids at, um, at the church today. And I was listening to podcasts, which I typically do. And the podcast was about getting through the hard times. Three of them in a row, three little 20 minute podcasts on that commute there and back. Same, getting through the hard times, getting through the hard times. That, that God uses those hard times to, to give us opportunities to work for him or to, to testify for him or to become whatever it is he's calling us to be at that moment. Then when I go to pick her up I took from school, I turn the podcast off because she prefers music. And then those songs were about, every song was about God is here. God is in your story. God is in my story. Um, you know, that I can't remember what all was on, but it was all about God makes something beautiful out of what we think is a mess. So when I posted on my personal Facebook, a little reminder about Bible study tonight, I posted that, um, let God make a, take your mess and make it into something beautiful. That was what the picture said. But here's the thing. What is our mess? Each of us have our own unique mess, right? So we have been going through, and we're on week five, so we're on the last woman in this series. But we've been going through um, the five women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Christ. So in Matthew chapter one, when he starts listing so-and-so was begat so-and-so and da-da-da-da-da and all the way through. Which you're like, okay, I'm in the New Testament. Why do I have all these begats again, right? Um, there are five women mentioned in all of these men. And we have talked about Rahab. We talked about Ruth. We talked about um, Tamar. And last week we talked about Bathsheba. And it was really funny because our pastor then preached Wednesday night about um, David and Bathsheba. Of course, he went more on the David story where I had gone on to the Bathsheba story, but it was really funny because he was hitting some of those same points. Um, and tonight, we're going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
we all have a story. Every one of us has a story. So I don't want to cross analogies, mix analogies here. So I'm, I'm not into the song thing for this. But our stories is what, what reaches other people. If someone gives me a to-do list, this is how you fix your life. Do this, 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 this. I might try it, but am I going to be really in, engrossed in what they've and invested in what they've given me? A checklist that worked for them? But if they tell me their story behind it, if they tell me when I went through something and it's something that resonates with maybe what I'm going through, and this is what God had me do, I might try some of those things then. So sometimes their story is not about us. Sometimes it's about somebody else. And I think these five women, the reason that they're mentioned in Matthew and as standouts is because they are stories that God wanted us to make sure we really looked at. He wanted us to see what he had done in their lives. But before I get to Mary, we're going to go back and review because our theme for this whole thing was something beautiful. And we're going to start in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And I typically use New American Standard Version, but in this one, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just because I like the way it flowed better. Just so you know that if anybody is questioning why it sounds different. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. And he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Okay, this one little verse is so packed that it's taken me five weeks using different examples of women to explain what it means to me. There's five things that I had in here that we talked about. One, he lives among us, right? It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. God is not this great watchmaker who puts you together, says, okay, boom, I created earth, and then just sits back and watches. There are theologies that think that's what he is. That's not what God is. The Bible says he's living among us. He's right here to help us. Even when we don't think that it feels like he's here, He's still here. He's right here with us and he cares about us. Okay, second point. He is mighty and he saves us. Some of the other translations here I've mentioned, they use the word um, warrior, powerful soldier, or a hero. He is our mighty savior. He is powerful to save us. He is a hero who comes rushing in when we think we can't handle anything else. I am not about that damsel in distress theory that I have to have somebody come rescue me. I'm very independent and I want to do things on my own. And I don't think any of these women we talked about have acted like damsels in distress. I think they've all been independent and kept working through it. But you know what? They still had a hero. God still rescued them. He still did what we're going to talk about here. Number three, he took delight in them. No matter what they were going through, no matter what their lives looked like, he delighted in them. He loved them. No matter what choices they made or didn't make, he delighted in them. He loves you. He loves me. He loves his children. And he looks down on us and there's times when he's like, yeah, that's my boy, that's my boy. And then there's times when like, man, come on daughter, you gotta do better than that. Those of us who are parents, we've all done that, haven't we? <laughs> we've looked at our kids and say, come on, you gotta do better. And then there's times that we're like, yeah. If you, if you have a son who's on the football team and he's charging in for a touchdown, you're screaming, that's mine, that's mine. That's what God does with us. But God also, here's number four, my fourth point of this verse. He brings peace and calmness in the middle of our chaos. He quiets the noise. I work 
with kids. Most of the, my clients are on the autism spectrum. Some of them have some severe sensitivity to sounds and noises. And those noise canceling headphones are the our best friends in the clinic. Because if you've got one who is having a meltdown and screaming and crying and squalling and carrying on, because that's how they deal with their frustrations, but you have another one in the next room who's sensitive to noise, what do you do? You quiet the noise for them. You bring them calm. You bring them peace. That's what God does with us. He quiets that noise. When all of these questions come rushing at us and all of these confusions and all of the stress is building in our head. He quiets it. He brings us peace and stillness and calm. All right. And the fifth thing, which is why I asked you about your theme song, he sings over you. Some of the other translations of this verse use, this word, use the words, he exalts over you with loud singing. It's not I mean, he doesn't whisper it. He is shouting joyfully over you and singing loudly. He delights in you with shouts of joy. And he celebrates you. That's what God does. He celebrates who you are because you're his child. You're his creation. You are special to him. Now, if every one of us is special to God, if everyone outside of these walls here on this campground is special to God, if everyone we go to school with, we go to work with, we meet in the grocery store is special to God, how should we be treating each other? Well, unfortunately, we're human and it's not going to be perfect, but we should be greeting each other with the same compassion and grace and consideration that we would want. To be given to us because we're all children of God. We're all his children. All right. So now I'm going to move on to Mary. I had to review that, but I'm telling you that has gotten into me. And that is what my mind thinks every day. I kind of review these and didn't even realize I was doing it consciously. I have it written down because this is what I've been teaching out of. But I start going through that. When I'm, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, it, Zephaniah 3.17, he calms that chaos. That's what I hear in my spirit. If we can grasp hold of this, we can change our lives. It's one verse. That's one verse that can change the way that we look at the world, the way we look at ourselves. One verse that can make something beautiful out of our lives. All right. I'm going to start in Matthew chapter one. We are going to end up in Luke chapter two. I'm just going to give you some fair warning. Matthew chapter one. Now I'm back to my new American standard, Jan. <laughs> um, and I want to just kind of set the scene here. And I'm going to have to pick this up so I can read what I wrote down and make sure I got my notes good which put me out of the camera scene. Um, I want to set the scene to who Mary was. Matthew chapter one, and we're going to actually start in verse 18. I'm going to jump down to verse 18. But who is Mary? We know that she was young. We know she was engaged. We know that according to Jewish tradition, she could have been as young as 13. Probably wasn't any older than 15 at this point. Just because that was their culture. They would get engaged. They may stay engaged, betrothed for two or three years. But that betrothal ceremony was as binding as a marriage ceremony. That's important to know. Joseph had claimed her. He probably was in his 30s. Um, we don't know this for sure. We just, these are general suppositions in the way the culture works. Um, but that betrothal ceremony that they had bound them together, just like our marriage ceremonies do now. They hadn't, they were not married. They were not man and wife. 
but they were betrothed. It was a covenant already between them and God that this would be a union that, that he ordained. And Mary, this young girl, I can't imagine. She's a few years older than Audrey here. This young girl, who has probably been sheltered and protected most of her life to make sure that she's considered pure and, 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 and worthy of marriage and all of that stuff because it was so important to them. The Holy Spirit comes to her. The angel comes to her and tells her, what? What does Gabriel tell her? You're going to have babies. We're not, it's not here in Matthew chapter. That one's in Luke. <laughs> Stories in Luke. I'm, but I'm just trying to review your, 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 your Bible knowledge. The Holy the Gabriel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, how can this be? I've never been with a man. I mean, that's her instant reaction. This is impossible. And he says, but the Holy Spirit will, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. And he will be the son of God. He will be Yeshua. He will be the Messiah. He names the baby. And then she has to tell Joseph. So, kind of setting that scene. And I want, I, this is what I was writing. I want to read what I wrote when I was thinking about Mary. It says, have you ever known that you are absolutely smack dab in the middle of where God wants you? You know that you know that you know this is the place God has been guiding you through and to your entire life. This is where God's placed you. You are rejoicing and excited at the possibility of God's moving in your life. Because at the end of that encounter with the angel, Mary says, let it be as you said, I am, the, I am you know, the Lord's handmaiden. That's what she says. She says, I'm, I'm God's servant, whatever he wants of me. She's got to be excited now. Even though she's scared beyond belief, I'd be scared beyond belief. She's got to be a little bit excited. God chose me. Why did God choose me? Then it hits you. The reality of what you are called to do. The enormity of it all overwhelms you. And you feel unprepared, ill-equipped, and staggering under the weight of it all. And out of nowhere comes the blow. You're blindsided with something that could derail this entire plan that God has for your life. It must be how Mary felt. She was chosen. She was called. She even had a visit from an angel to tell her that this was really what she was called to be. And the news comes that her fiance, her betrothed, Joseph, plans to quietly divorce her. How can she raise any child, much less the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, all by herself? Can you imagine the desperation she felt? Those heart-wrenching cries out to God, she must have said. Why? Why me, God? Why me? You ever had those moments? I had one of those moments this week. I'm not, I mean, I'm transparent. I had one of those moments this week. Why me, God? Why did you put this on my life? It's too much. It had to be how Mary felt. Can you imagine the fervent in these urgent prayers to God? Can you imagine? So let's look here in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. Let's see what Joseph really was doing here. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. But when he had thought this over, okay, I want to pause here for a minute and let's look at the way the scripture reads. He was a righteous man. 
It wasn't like Mary was the only one who was serving God in this relationship. Joseph thought she had cheated on him. Basically, he thought she had betrayed him because there's no other way. But he's righteous and he has compassion for her. He's showing her as much grace as he possibly can, even though they didn't understand grace the way we do. Because that comes through this child. Grace does. He, he wanted to send her away quietly. There are other gospels talk about him writing the letter of divorce, right? That he was going to quietly divorce her. He's going to send her away quietly. But then it says, but when he had thought this over, so it wasn't just a rash decision. Oh, I'm so mad at her. That's it. We're divorcing. It says he had thought it over. He mauled it over. He kept thinking about it. He, he, probably, he probably hadn't put a lot of agonizing nights himself because he didn't want to get it out. It says, when he had thought this over, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. So in the prophets, in the Old Testament, there was this prophecy given that we're going to read here in verse 23. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. Yeah, what's going on with the lights? I don't know. I've never had. What if they're having trouble upstairs with the lights too? No, no. We've had people upstairs before not having lights. Okay, those of you listening on the podcast, our lights are flickering. I hope it's still recording. Um. All right, let's try to get through this because I really believe this word needs to get out. Um, Mary, okay, flickering lights. Mary had to feel absolute and utter total relief. Can you imagine? She spent these, however long it took him to think this over. She's like, he's going to get rid of me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And I've never even been with a man. No one's ever going to believe me. She probably, I can imagine she's having panic attacks almost, you know. And then the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him, don't be afraid. And Joseph's like, okay, God, you spoke to me. And he takes her as his wife, but he honors her. Did you see that? says he, he, he um, kept her a virgin. He did not take his husbandly duties. He did not take his rights as a husband or any of those things that other men would do. He gave her respect and the space and the honor until she birthed a son. I don't think Joseph gets enough credit. I really don't think Joseph gets enough credit. Um, because he was going on blind trust, just faith, believing God. Because what he seen with his eyes was not. I mean, he had dreams. Mary had Gabriel come in person and say, hey, boom. He didn't. He had a dream. He could try to dismiss that away, and he didn't. And he paid her honor and respect, and he cherished her. I mean, that's really what he's doing. He's cherishing her. All right, let's go on to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. So after this, we know that 
she has the baby. We know that the shepherds come. We know that the wise men come at some point. But we also know what's going on behind the scenes in the palace. Herod is plotting. Because those wise men, the three magi, get lost. And they go to the palace because they assume the king of the Jews must be being born at the palace, right? And they, so Herod gets this news from them that there's another king being born. And then he panics. Oh, no, I'm going to lose my power. I'm going to lose my power. And we know the story that by, after talking to the Magi, after talking to the men, that he declared that all infants, all Jewish male boys, all Jewish male infants under the age of two years old are to be put to death. Kind of reminiscent of what happened with Moses, isn't it? So here's one of those fancy theology things that you take away. If you hear people talk about types of Christ in the Old Testament, this is one of those examples where Moses was a type of Christ, um, foreshadowing what Christ would do because he was hidden away. And what happens here? Let's look here in verse 13 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13. It says, now, when they had gone, so when the wise men leave, because the wise men had kind of tell um, Joseph what's going on, um, it says, now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened so that what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, when you, okay, we're just having like a brownout or something and the power's going dim. We are not in California, but it feels like it. <laughs> All right. Um, so when we talk about Moses, and I, I don't want to get too deep into that, but the parallels here. Moses was hidden where? What country were they in? Where does God send Jesus, Joseph to hide Mary and Joseph? And Jesus? So all of those things that happened in the Old Testament, I don't get real deep into all of that stuff because I can get lost into it. It almost can become conspiracy theory type things and I get real lost in it. Um, but it fascinates me to know that so many of these things that happened in the Old Testament are foreshadowing. They're giving us this kind of, when we read it as a book now, we get this kind of hint at what's going to happen in the future. We're given prophecies that tell us what's going to happen. But we get, get kind of these hints through some of these stories in the Old Testament. So, that angel comes in the dream. Herod was born. But Jesus is safe. And they stay there until Herod dies, is what we learn here in Matthew. And then he comes back. The angel comes back to Joseph and tells him, okay, it's safe, all clear. Take the baby back. Take the child back. Now, we say baby because that's what we're thinking. We're not sure how old. Truthfully, we know that Jesus could have been almost two years old, up to two years old when they left because Herod was looking for babies two and under. We know that they came back sometime before he was 12 because he was at the temple at age 12. That's all we really know. How long did they stay in Egypt? Was it a month? Was it a year? Was it 10 years? They were in hiding. Okay, now I want you to think for a second. I'm setting the scene for where I'm going to when we go to Luke. Mary is in hiding with her son. The son of God that she has been entrusted to take care of, to protect, to raise, to nourish, to teach the ways of, Ju of Judaism. 
to teach how to be a Jewish man so that he can be the Messiah and the Savior so that they will accept him because if he's raised as a Gentile, they're not going to accept it. What kind of pressure was she under? Because we don't know. Like I said, it could have been a week, a month, a year. It could have been 10 years. We're not real sure how long she was there. And we have light. Let's see if it stays on this time. All right. That's what we know. So let's go now. And I'm going to try to use my laptop so that it's bigger. And I'm still having the, um, I think I'm going to zoom in. <laughs> I'm still having to lean in quite a bit. All right. So we're going to go to Luke chapter two. And we're going to go here to um, verse eight. And we're going to talk about the shepherd. So we're going to backtrack in our story some. But I wanted to set that scene of what this life was like until they came back <coughs> to Israel. And then I want to talk about, now I'm going to focus on what Mary must did during this time. Okay. Luke chapter two, verse eight. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And so the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. Yes, I know King James says, and on, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Verse 15. When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen him, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who had heard it were amazed about the things which were told by the shepherds. I want you to look here at verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary has just been through probably one of the most agonizing emotional pregnancies in the history of man. She was almost divorced. She was almost a single mother at such a young age in a, in a culture that wouldn't, would not have accepted it. She was, she's just given birth. And I've got to wonder if at this point she was starting to question, what if it was all in my head? What if this is all in my head? What if I'm crazy? What if an angel didn't really come to me? What if, what if, what if, what if I did something and I don't remember? What if I was with a man and don't remember? She had to be. You know, the thoughts, Satan attacks us and he puts thoughts in our minds. He puts thoughts in our minds. But it says, she treasured all these things. They told Mary and Joseph what the heavenly folks had said about the baby. That he was God. That he was the Messiah. That, they, that God sent them somebody to witness. This miracle that was in their lives. And it says, Mary treasured all these things. And it says, pondering them in your heart. What do you do with something that you treasure? If you have treasure, what did pirates do with treasure? They hoarded it. They buried it. What did they, they would lock it in chest, right? What, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my age a little bit here. You ever watch what does Scrooge McDuck do with his treasure on any of those cartoons of the Disney Channel? He keeps it. He keeps it. He puts it in his safe. He puts it in his safe. If you ever watch the 
90s version of DuckTales. There's this huge tower. It's like a grain silo, but it's his money silo. And he got the, the, the cartoon, he jumps in it and swims through the, through the money. But he, he hoards it. He locks it up, right? The Greek word here that's translated in New American Standard, pondering them in their heart, means locked it away. Locked it away. So it's not just like, oh, that was so sweet of you to say. And then six months later, she has no clue what they said to her. She locked it up. It was here. It was something that she's going to keep close to. All right, let's go on down to verse 25. All right, so here we are. Jesus is eight days old. At eight days old, in Jewish culture, they take the males. At this time, they would take them to the temple to be circumcised. In today's culture, they have specific men who are trained who will come to their homes and do the, do the ceremonies. These lights are really bothering me. <laughs> um, so they are in the temple to give the sacrifice, to celebrate. They're celebrating their son like any other Jewish couple would. And verse 25 says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Don't you like when you run into people who the Holy Spirit is upon? That you know when they speak, it's coming from God. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. So the Holy Spirit's dragging him into the temple, drawing him in. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and as a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I want to read this next part. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84. Remember how young we said they got married? She was widowed in her 20s. And lived to 84 as a widow. You're, you're fine. Um, she did not leave the temple grounds, serving night and day with fast and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak about him to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay. She began to give thanks to God and continued to speak about Jesus to anybody who would listen. Simeon basically says, okay, I can die now, God. I've seen the Christ. And all we get here in verse 33 is that his father and mother were amazed at all the things which were being saying, said about them. But what do we know about Mary from earlier in this chapter? What does she do with these things? She ponders them. She's locking this up. I can only imagine that she's she just had all this being said by the shepherds. And now they had to know who Simeon and Anna were. They were renowned people. They were, it would be like we get amazed when people don't know who Billy Graham is, right? Because he's considered one of the fathers of faith in North America. They knew who these people were. And these people are, are they're validating what they felt. They're giving them confirmation 
that we really did hear from God. When someone gives you confirmation that you really were hearing from God, what do you do with it? You use it. You hold on to that in the rough times, don't you? All right. We're going to go down here and I'm going to read some more. We see in verse 40, it says the child continued to grow and began, became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. I just wonder what it was like to grow up as a sibling of Jesus. I wonder, because we know he had brothers and sisters. We learned that later in scripture. He, to just watch him as he continued to grow in wisdom. And in favor of God. So here in verse 41, and I'm not going to read all of this. We know the story. 12 years old. It's the feast of the Passover. It says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. All right. So they stayed there the whole time they were supposed to be there. And then they start back. But they didn't realize Jesus wasn't with them. Now let's give Mary and Joseph some credit here. When they go to the Feast of the Passover, it's huge families traveling together, whole communities traveling together to Jerusalem. So there could have been, you know, 50, 60, 100 people traveling in this group. They, and all their other kids were there. Nobody had said anything about Jesus being missing. They probably just assumed he was with the other kids. He wasn't. So somewhere on this journey home, they realized oh, we left our kid. Now, have any of you left your child somewhere? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 wasn't very far. You go right ahead. Um, I really enjoyed it. I will do that. All right, every Monday and Friday. Yeah, I'm gonna, I just had two jobs, so. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> Sorry, I was late. Thank you for coming. No, I'm honored to be here, I'm blessed, very blessed. I got it, I took a lot of notes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so, I'm gonna tell Aunt Dave, since he said yes, and, and uh, out with yeah, he outed himself, so I'm going to tell. It was in the middle of Walmart. It was in the middle of Walmart. Audrey, who was a baby? No, you were younger. We were at Walmart with Dave's parents. Dave's mom and I had gone off to go look at something. Dave and his dad. And we left the cart, shopping cart with them because Audrey was little. I mean, little. She was in the car seat. She, no, she wasn't in the car seat. She was big enough to be out of the car seat, but she was, well, I, she wasn't in the baby carrier. But she was little enough that she had laid down in that cart and gone to sleep. We left the cart with them. They put his hand on it, said, okay, and was standing there talking to me as I left. The next thing I know, The next thing I know, she, Dave and his dad are walking up to me and his mom, and there's no cart. I'm like, where's Audrey? He says, you got her. Dave, I handed you the cart, but you held on to it. Oh. Oh, she must be back over in sporting goods. And they just walk nonchalantly. His mom and I are like sprinting across the store to get back over there. And if you know Dave's mom, she does not sprint well. She has some issues with her hips and has for a very long time. And she is sprinting across Walmart to go find that baby. So can you imagine Mary and Joseph realizing they didn't just leave their child on the other side of the store. They left him in another city. We don't even know. They went a whole day's journey, which was six or seven miles. Could you imagine six or seven miles away from your child and realize, oh, 
Jerusalem looking for him. But here's the thing. They didn't find him as soon as they got back. So it's not a day out and then a day back. It's not just two days. It was after three days of getting back to Jerusalem, they found him. So this child has been missing from them for five days. Five days. But where did they find him? Since they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when Joseph and Mary saw him, they were bewildered. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that when you were looking for me, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And yet... On their part, they on their part did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued to be subject to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, I don't think she was treasuring the panic of having lost her child. She's treasuring the fact that they found their child teaching the teachers of the temple. He was learning, but he was teaching. He was there as an equal. He hasn't hit the age of manhood. He is 12. And she walks that away in her heart. Now, that's Mary's foundation as a parent. What else do we know? We know Jesus continues and he does all these miracles and he does so much and he, he ultimately then he suffers and then he gets to where? Um where, where does Jesus end up? We know. Where does he end up? What was his whole purpose of coming to the, to the world? To, to, to teach. Okay. And die for everyone. He ends up on the cross. Now, when he's on the cross, he tells who is it he tells? It's John, right? The disciple he loves. So it's, we believe that's John. He tells him, this is your mother. Woman, this is your son. He gives responsibility as the oldest child of caring for the mother to someone else. But can you imagine what she felt watching can you imagine? That's why I say we don't give Joseph enough credit. He's raised this child. This is his baby. He knows no different. There's no difference. We did when um, our older children were little, we were youth pastors. And Dave was a youth pastor and I was a children's pastor. And we did this drama. I think we got it from somebody else, but that's the way it works in youth groups. You, you borrow things that will work in your church for, you know, from other people. We share those kind of resources. But we did this drama to a song called Now Behold the Lamb by Kirk Franklin. And during this drama, we bring Jesus to the cross. When he dies in this drama, the way that we presented it was Joseph. The same Joseph who earlier had cradled this baby at the manger in our drama comes and carries that boy off the cross. Now, that's not in the scripture, but it is a metaphor for how he must have felt. He lost his child. Yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he's the savior. And yes, it had to happen. But that was still his child. Mary 
and treasured all of these things, locked them away in her heart. Nobody thought he was going to have to die. They thought he was going to come and just take over. They thought he was going to be a maybe a military leader or, or a great political person or a great preacher that everybody would just accept him as the Messiah. They didn't know he was going to have to die. She has these things treasured in her heart. And she's watching her treasure breathe his last breath. What kind of chaos did Mary go through that day? But then, what kind of joy do you think Mary and Joseph felt when he rose from the dead? When he was resurrected? What kind of joy do you think they felt? Okay. Excited. I think I was excited. I think they were overjoyed. So, we're abbreviating a little bit because we're running short on time. And I want to get through those five points on Mary. How does God live among Mary? How does God live among us apply to Mary's life? Hers is the easiest of them all. It was her child. He lived in her. He lived in her house. He made sure that when his physical body died, that she was going to be taken care of. He lived. That's the easiest one we've had in this five weeks. All right, so make sure I'm doing these in order. Number two, that was God mighty to save in Mary's life. Yes, in, this, in Mary's life, we see Christ come to the crucifixion and he dies for the salvation of everyone and resurrects for the salvation of everyone. But how else did he serve as her savior and her hero in her life? God sent Joseph dreams. He sent angels to Joseph and dreams twice that we know of. Once to not divorce her. The second time to take her and the baby and run and hide. All right. How else in her life? I want you to think about this. His daily presence with her. This is like fresh daily words mm -hmm. and Holy Spirit presence. Yeah. He saved her. He also gave her treasure, Sydney, mm -hmm. to keep her. Can you imagine? I don't know this, but I know how children act and they've been the same since creation. You know, that. The culture changes, but our behaviors do not. Do you think they thought Jesus might have been a little peculiar? I'd say, especially by the time he's 12 and he's in the temple teaching, they're probably starting to be like, hmm, I don't know about this kid. She's treasuring those things in her heart, and it's saving her mama's heart from breaking because she knows he's blessed. She knows he's called. She knows he's different. And then he saves her because he makes sure that John is going to take care of her. See, we don't really know. I have this whole analogy in my head of what I think Joseph would have gone through at that moment. We don't even know if Joseph is still alive at this point. We don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about him anymore after the temple. There's no mention of Joseph anymore after that trip to the temple. So we don't know. And if he was 30 when they got married, by the time Je Jesus was 30, 33, when he died, Joseph could have been gone. Mary would have had to have someone provide for her. And it's supposed to be the eldest son. And he passed that responsibility to someone he trusted. He saved her. All right. How do you think Jesus took delight or God took delight in Mary? We know in her conversation with Gabriel, the Lord has favor. You found favor, right? You're the favorite handmaiden. God took delight in her from day one. 
All right. How did he bring peace and calmness throughout Mary's life? We talk about lots of things. Joseph, not divorcing her for peace, calmness. Joseph, getting them out and taking them to Egypt brought some peace. Possibly brought some more concerns and conflict, but the immediate was relief and peace. Brought peace to her heart. He gave her these things, right? That she treasured in her heart. The shepherds told her things. Simeon and Anna spoke prophecies over him. They declared he was the Messiah. To the temple after all of this chaos of not being able to find her child for five days. And it says she treasured these things because they were in wonder of his knowledge. Of course, he had the knowledge, he was God. He brought peace and calmness. And even in those last moments, when she's watching her baby, he had been 33 years old, but he was still her baby watching her baby die in the most excruciating fashion of the time. She had support, she had peace, she had calmness. And then we know resurrection, she had to be overjoyed. I can't, just the relief to know all of this. All right. And then fifth, we know that he sings over you. So, we usually talk about a song that God may have sung over Mary. I don't think Mary did you know was the song that God sang over her. Because no, Mary did not know. She had no clue what. She knew he was the son of God. She's kissing the face of God. But she had no clue what really was that meant. I do believe that every one of these women we talked about, that song was something beautiful just overwhelms something beautiful something good all of my confusion he understood all i had to offer him was brokenness and strife and he made something beautiful of my life every one of these women we've talked about over the past month had tragedy in their lives had chaos in their lives but god made something beautiful out of their lives and he did that and then he lived has matthew lists them i think so that we can see this beauty of what god can do for us so tonight as we close here we are going to pray and I just want us to pray. I want to pray over all of you that God will show you the beauty in your life, the absolute beauty in your life. And after we pray, um, Larry and Debbie donated this little picture for us to do a drawing on tonight. So Dave, I need you to get papers together after we pray so you can do drawing. And we're going to go ahead and pray. Yeah. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to read your word and to see these things that you show us in the stories of others. Father, thank you for singing over me. Thank you for singing over my sisters and my brothers, rejoicing in us and celebrating us because we're your children. Father, I pray that everyone in this room, everyone who, who hears this study on the internet or however else they might hear it that you would reach into their hearts that you would take the chaos that is tearing up their hearts the sadness the agony the depression the, the feeling rejected all of those things that you would take those and you would calm the chaos you would quiet the noise and that you would make something beautiful of their life and that they could see 
the beauty that you have in them. And I thank you because I know you're going to do these things. I know that you're singing over us as we're singing. All I have is confusion and brokenness and strife that you're saying, no, there's something beautiful here. And you're going to show each of us what that is. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. I'm afraid.